Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Sunscrap Nation's podcast. Your host, as always, Daniel Jonas, here on Monday, May 18th, 2020, Charlotte, North Carolina. It is a cloudy and bit cold day. I uh, hope you all enjoyed this past weekend's fights. Um, that's what I'll be covering today. I'll be covering that. I'll talk a little bit about the Glover and Anthony Smith fight. Just because last week, um, technical difficulties resulted in me not having a completely recorded episode. So, things got screwy. And then schedule got ahead of me. But I did watch the fights, so I am all tuned into that. And we can talk about both. We can talk... Mostly about this past weekend because of the egregious judging. Um, Now, I wasn't at the event. I wasn't judging the event. So as much as everything I have to say comes with a grain of salt because, you know, as I was watching the fights, I was drinking beers and, you know, enjoying my time. I think, yeah, this weekend I was, you know, had a had like a dinner. So there were a couple people over. Not over here, I was over at a person's place, and um, we were watching the fights there, so not 100% invested as far as, like, judging. The only one that I had 100% complete commitment to watching was the Anthony Smith fight, or the the Walt Harris versus Overeem fight, and that ended, so it doesn't really even matter. But I did go back and rewatch the Claudia versus Angela Hill fight, because that was one of the ones that was contested as a... This the person that got the decision may not have been the person that deserved the win, and then we also there was also that feeling in the Chico Vera fight and the Dan Inge fight a little bit. That Edson Barbosa fight with Dan Inge was a bit of a a, Jose Aldo versus Marlon Marais feel, right? Like, top contender, Marlon Marais, versus former top contender at featherweight, Jose Aldo, fight each other. First round, iffy for for Jose. And then, like, the second and third round come around, and he picks it up, but Marlon still wins the fight. And then you go, oh, shit, Jose's, like, a real contender in this division. We can go ahead and get into it. That's kind of how I felt about the Edson fight uh, against Dan Inge. It, it felt like Edson uh, was... He was in it. Like, every shot that he sh- threw hurt Dan Inge. Like, he was big. He did seem a little fragile, but th- you you watch his movements. It's it's always kind of like that. He doesn't have, like, the – he's got great balance, but as far as when he takes a shot, it may look like it, it, it does more damage because of where his feet positioning may be. But he requires that feet positioning. Um, the reason being – uh, just uh, the ability to throw kicks as fast as he does. I'm looking at the stat numbers right now. Um, Edson got that knockdown, uh, which I don't know why these. Uh, I don't understand why these knockdowns don't count for anything in the in the eyes of these judges. Now, now a knockdown doesn't count as much in MMA as it does in boxing, for example, or kickboxing, because there's a significant stop in the action. The ref comes up to you. Uh, You have to show and prove that you're willing to continue. In this fight, the fight continues regardless. In this sport, right? The fight continues regardless. You get hurt, 
you got to fight out of it. Um, so when you see a lot of these scorecards where you see a knockdown in the Edson fight, you see a knockdown in the Hill fight, but yet these other people come back to win, and so, uh, and, I'll, and I'll address this completely because it, it involves the Song Yadong fight too. Um, the knockdowns are there. In boxing, once there's a knockdown involved, the score goes 10-8. It goes to 10-8, right? And it's up to the other fighter's job to now fight back. Is it possible that they can fight back from a knockdown and get a 10-9? Absolutely. But it's still a 10-9, right? So in both these fights, the Angela Hill, Claudia Gadea, and the Dan Inge versus Edson, there's a moment where Edson and Angela both knocked their opponent down. Now, does their opponent work their way back to a 10-9, but yet it's still Edson and Angela Hill's round? Absolutely. Is there a chance where they don't fight back? And the, and the momentum of the fight, because you gotta, you got to look at a fight like a, like a wave, like the ocean, right? That's the, that's the metaphor, the analogy they used for... Um, in the in the coaching or in the refereeing or the judging course, right? The fight is like there there's waves in a fight, right? One fighter may be winning, and then it goes back the other way due to the current. Like they go back and forth. There's a constant going back and forth. Now, if it's co- constantly crashing on the one side, then that's a possible ten eight. If there's a big moment where they get hurt and then it starts moving over to that way, ten eight, right? So it's, it's those things where do, do these fighters fight back enough where they are back into the fight, they're being active enough where it's swaying the waves back and forth, or did they fight back just enough to recover and then the fighter kept the pace for the rest of the fight or for the rest of the round, which in my mind means now... That's a 10-8. In that case, these should not be unanimous decisions. They shouldn't be split. They should, they should be barely split decisions. I don't understand. Even numbers-wise for the Angela Hill fight, 93 to 92, 90 to 84. These are also Google numbers. I don't know whose numbers are right. Uh, Claudia did fine in the, first, in the first fight or in the first round. She got a takedown. Awesome. She controlled it. Second round, she got knocked down. Third round, she couldn't get a takedown, and she didn't really put in enough. Like, she got a lot more hit than she did get, than she did hitting, right? So, if I'm a judge, second round, clearly Angela Hill. First round, clearly Claudia Gadelia. Third round, split decision, or like split edge decision, right? What is Angela? But is Claudia clearly implementing her game plan like she did in the first round. No, she can't. Her game plan isn't to stand and fight with Angela. My thing is, what my belief is, is that these refs, which I don't know who refed these fights, may have been the refs from the fights this past weekend, the refs from this past, the, the judges from this past weekend, the judges from this past week in fighting, and they're just so 
tired of it and overloaded that it could have affected their judging. Easy. These fights can easily just blend into, like, these fights can blend one into the other, especially if you're not a huge fan, especially if you don't care. But the problem with that is they're now, since they're not fans, they don't care, and in turn, they now hurt the careers of these other people, and these other people don't make as much money. They get hurt, right? It fucks them up for their future in the case of Angela Hill, the Marlon versus Song Yudong fight. That, to me, was egregious. You see, and you see the faces of these fighters after. You see these people that are broken, beaten. You see them with their hands getting ready to be raised. One of them has their hands up because they clearly know they won. The other person looks like they lost because they know they lost. Fighting's one of those sports where everyone doesn't know who lost because there's no score on the board. But the people that know they lost, just like in every sport, are the people that are playing. In this case, you're not playing, but you're fighting. And in a fight, you know if you lost or not. Especially if you fight for 15 minutes. You kind of get an idea. Like, oh man, if this continues going on, I don't know how I'm going to do. And if that person keeps pushing in the Marlon versus Song Yudong fight... Like, Song, yeah, he had awesome right hands. Like, there were, there were moments where he hit very, very fucking hard, and, and it looks that way. But just the, and also octagon control. I don't understand why that's not a thing. Um, yeah, I just, there's a bunch of, there was a bunch of things during these, a bunch of little things during these fights that clearly shoot, showed the lack of, not, like, MMA knowledge. Also, can we shout out to Nate the Train Landwehr? That fight with Darren Elkins. But that's the Nate the Train that I was expecting in his first fight against Herbert Burns. Um, but that dude just had a nasty knee. I didn't also didn't realize he fought and won. Um, but Darren Elkins, ugh. I mean, being being scar tissue and toughness. At some point, you got to reevaluate. Even though I mean, he's twenty four and nine. It's obviously clearly starting to move towards the the latter numbers. He's lost four in a row now. Um, Giga Chikese, Chikese, that dude always bringing it. That dude's great. I love watching that guy fight. Um, Kevin Holland going there easy, getting that easy work with a brutal knee. An elbow. Shades of Matt Brown. Matt Brown goes in there, does work a little bit, drops Miguel, um, or doesn't drop him, but hurts him or something. I don't know. Um, and then Miguel comes back and gets Matt Brown. Sad. But good for that Miguel guy. He went through some adversity, so that shows as a prospect coming up into the welterweight division where he stands, especially meeting or beating Matt Brown. I know it's a Matt Brown in the later of his careers, but he still put him away, um, and he survived. I mean, that guy, Matt Brown only gets better after you knock him down. Um, and then the Eric Anders versus Jocto fight, not really much there, just a nice, easy cruise for Jocto. Uh, not easy, but just 
uh, patience, setting up the right punches, kicks. Both of them didn't get takedowns. It's crazy. They both went for five. Didn't get them either. All right. So now in the main event, we had Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris. Sad ending to a whole sad thing. But Alistair Overeem, the demolition man is back. Um, he showed his he showed his aptitude for wrestling and his evolution going and training with Team Elevation. And Curtis Blades really showed his his uh, experience. Or not his experience, but like learning even at 46 and 18 and being 40 years old, happy birthday to the Ream or to Demolition Man though. And then Walt Harris, as sad as it is, he went in there, he put Overeem down in the first round, congrats to him, but man, he's got to work on his ground game. And when I mean his ground game, I mean more of his bottom jujitsu. And just being able to not let guys casually get better position, positioning on him. And to, for example, hand trap the way that Alistair did. You just have to be a little bit more aware on the ground. And then Alistair showed the versatility again, right? He knocked him out with a head kick or knocked him down with a head kick. So he started off with, like, kicking the ankle, boom, and then coming upstairs. It, it's not... It's not like a super advanced read. Like, it's not a, oh, shit, did you see that? Like, he was setting that up since the... He set it up once. But when you're so committed to my hands are what does work, and Overeem was so good at, at range management, that when you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to put my leather on his chin like I did in the first round and I'm not going to ever let this get out of punching range but I also don't want to go to the clench because Overeem's knees kind of messed me up in the first round you set yourself up because he goes low leg kick and then the second one you're waiting for the body you're waiting for the leg but you're definitely not waiting for the head, and you put yourself in a position now where your hands are just ready to brace it, ready to take it to the arm, ready to take it to the leg so you can explode forward and hit him with the right hand, left hand, whatever you want to. Instead, Overeem just went up top. And with small MMA gloves, there's not much you can do as far as blocking a kick from the rim. Um, And I just watched Overeem's... I don't know. If, I don't know if it was his debut. A glory put a glory kickboxing put it up, but he's very he's very sneaky in that glory kickboxing match. Even though he was the bigger, more explosive, crazier looking fighter, um, and the person he was fighting was clearly bigger, slower, not you know not to the caliber. Um, I mean, even though you're kind of hoping for this like Buster Douglas kind of situation, because it did take him three times to get put out. But the first time we put him out, he switches his stance very casually, waits for the guy to go for an uppercut, and comes over the top with the overhand right. But he was just in southpaw. But his, his range management and his, his slow, smooth demeanor of being able to switch stances and being put into the perfect position for the perfect strike, even though he could easily just overpower you and just kick you in the stomach like he did with... Um, I mean, he kind of did in that kickboxing match, too, like he did with Brock Lesnar. 
and just beat you with sheer force and power, like Nganu, lack technique, and just go crazy. But with 46 and 18 fights, at one point you realize that Nganu kind of style doesn't work, and he's had plenty of fights where it doesn't work, right? The, the Travis Brown where he hurts Travis and the, the Bigfoot Silva one where, you know, he had both these guys hurt. And using his sheer force and scary ferocity like like an Nganu. And then he gets clipped because these guys, they recover. They weather the storm. And then they put it onto his chin. And then, I don't, I mean, with age and experience and fight, like, number of fights, you can only expect that the chin gets weaker and weaker. And especially if you're getting hit by 265-pound men. It doesn't matter what your chin is. I laugh at the... I laugh at the idea of of glass chins in the heavyweight division. It's like you're fighting 265-pound men. It doesn't matter what size you are. Like, those people are putting people down. Like, they hit with such force, it doesn't matter. Like, that's why uh, you can argue the Mark Hunt. But Mark Hunt, he's a boulder. Like, his head doesn't go anywhere. He He's arguably built to not get knocked out. But then again, he still gets knocked out because people hit ungodly hard. Alistair Overeem knocked him out. And those that don't get knocked out, like a Bigfoot, clearly because they're on testosterone or something. So when it's a game of inches, Alistair Overeem is the master of that. Like he is the chess master in heavyweight. Now there's the young dogs like Francis and Ghana who don't need to be chess masters because they're going against guys and they just scare the shit out of them. But when it comes to chess master to chess master, a DC, he's more that way because he can handle big, big guys. Like he has a game plan to beat giants. Alistair has a game plan to beat people who know his weakness and everything about him. He's got so much film on him. Like as a fighter, it's the same thing with uh, John. Like, all these guys are getting closer and closer to beating him. Yeah, because the guy's got so much fucking film on him. Like, if you're not at least winning around because you know exactly what he's going to do. Oh, but you don't know what he's going to do. Obviously, you kind of do because only humans are only allowed to or only able to do, you know, up to a certain number of things. And as much as he's a, you know, a phenom in it, like, the body can only do so much. So, yeah, you can throw spinning shit and whatever, but you have so many years you can pick up on people's habits. It's the same thing with the Dominic Cruz, Team Alpha Male. Yeah, we finally got him with Cody. Fucking good. It took you guys 10 years, which is ridiculous. It's one person. It's one man. It shouldn't take 10 years to beat a guy. Oh, but he's so elusive and so tricky. How did Henry Cejudo, you know, figure that out and two rounds by just kicking his legs. Like, uh, there are ways to beat fighters, and you just, I mean, I'm not saying you have to be like a, you don't have to be like a robot scientist or a robot space guy, you know, something crazy. You don't have to be an Elon Musk to figure it out because it is just fighting at the end of the day. So when you get a guy like Alistair Overeem, which his thing is just like hit his chin I guess I don't I mean but it's everyone's goal in heavyweight um when you have so much film on you you have to start changing your tactics not necessarily mean you have to change the way you fight but you have to change 
your tactics to win. John changes his tactics. He's a lot more elusive now. He uses a lot more like prodding attacks, like kicks the left. I mean, he's always used the oblique kicks, but he's a lot more stay away from me, stay away from me, protect my chin, protect it, protect it, points, 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 points. And then you come out of it, you're like, oh, I won that. It's like, yep, nope, you didn't. I did enough to win. But the more time you spend doing the sport, the harder it is to win because you just have so much to look at. John, part of the reason why John's team's so successful, part of the reason why that Greg Jackson team's so successful or any big team so successful is because they have someone on that team that takes the time, usually a head coach, usually Greg Jackson, usually uh, one of those guys. They sit down, they study the tape of your previous opponent, and they develop a game plan. And when you have hours and hours of it, that's why uh, a Greg Jackson was so confident when they go against the Ronda Rouseys or anyone, I'm trying to think. They're just really confident when they go against people that they seem unbeaten. I'm trying to think of it uh, recently. Uh, and that's why fights like Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm are interesting because ATT's also got Mike Brown, who are, is very good at film study. There are people that are very good at film study, and they're very good at breaking other fighters down, where it's like a back and forth of what did we work on? Is the person going to do exactly what we said we were going to do? Do we have to abandon this? Um, game plan like it, it's at that point it starts getting to the battle of the tac tacticians and it's more like the prepping that way where in an Alice going back to the Alistair Overeem fight versus Walt Harris Walt Harris is kind of new to it Alistair can just use veteran savvy um, he can just be the ream like he can just be Alistair he can do everything he planned in he can try new things. Like, he doesn't have to change up his tactics too much. He, could, he went for the finish. He doesn't have to be, like, on the outside like he did with Jarzinho and just try to, like, point fight his way to a victory. But there's only certain fights you can do that with. At a certain point, you know, when you get fighters with a big team that are veterans, you have to start playing smart because the sports evolve so much. All right. And like I said before, as much as we lo like George St. Pierre, congratulations to that guy. He's going he's being put into the Hall of Fame. You watch some old fights where George needed to win his title and keep it and keep his title. Hey, not the most exciting fights, but it doesn't matter. He won. Um, Edson Barbosa denied ability to appeal controversial loss to Dan Ige. Um, Edson Barbosa's team um, on the nose always about appealing losses. I feel like I've seen his. I feel like I've seen this team do that before. Uh, I think with the Paul Felder fight, actually. Alistair Overeem targets one last run at UFC title. Uh, okay, so we can talk a little bit about Anthony Smith here. Anthony Smith calls referee Jason Herzog's apology a cowardly move. Listen, Jason Smith, or Anthony Smith, is going oh, to die on a shield. He's always going to uh, choose that option. I think he, they should have they called it. Um, but I don't know. 
Uh, Tom DeBlas signs with one championship. The coach of Gary Tonin, who's also in one championship, but he's 38 years old. Um, he fought in the UFC. He's got a 9-2 and two record. Um, he puts, I'd like to announce my official uh, commitment to one championship. Life has some twisted. Yes, it, it, this pandemic forced ourselves to look long and hard in the mirror. I remember the first time I went to the corner. He just wants to get back and fight, and he feels like one championship does so well. And Man, I'm telling you, these people that fight for one championship, they love it there. I don't mean, like, love fighting. That's not what I mean. I mean they, they love the organization. And something about uh, Chaudhry, there's something that guy's got. He, it's not a Dana White thing. Like, Dana White's very good. That's why he's put the fights on. He's, he's arguably one of the best promoters. Um, however, personality-wise, he's burned a lot of bridges, and people don't have good experiences with him. Doesn't mean he's not popular, or doesn't mean it's not successful. Um, however, Chaudhry's got the ability to be a very good promoter. I don't know if that translates to being the most successful, not like Diana White, as far as being able to put flights on right now, and, you know, be the forefront of MMA. Chaudhry, on the other hand, has something that he doesn't have, and it's more something that Scott Coker has. A great personal relationship with the fighters, and fighters enjoy being there. And, by, and fighters love the paydays. They love the treatment. They love the way that the art... You're going to get two organizations at this time. You're going to get ones that do it for the fans. UFC has always been the ones that do it for the fans. And then you have organizations that do it for the fighters. Now... Most hardcore people love the ones that do it for the fighters because they love the whole thing all the time. Dana White does stuff for the fans so much that he that the fighters get upset because it's not not that he gives to the fighters and takes away from or gives to the fans and takes away from the fighters. It's just that it's so focused on selling merch and doing all these things and making the UFC bigger and getting it mainstream and getting Reebok, ESPN, all this, and then the fighters are like, "Okay, we're doing all this." We're getting put on all these things. Where's our cut? And he goes, ah, no, we need that to make bigger events for little other things like Fight Island. Do you think we can just pay for Fight Island? No, we need some of your, some of your hard blood, sweat, and tears and some of your, uh, and some of your, and some of your money that you made to go and book these places so we can put on events when, you know, when everyone can and continue this train going. And if you want to make more money, well, then you fight for us all the time. And guys like Anthony Pettis, who won the past weekend in the head of the prelims in a controversial decision, and he didn't even think he won, got the biggest payout. Why? It's how many times he's fought. He's not even champ anymore. He's not even, a, like, as successful as he was... Um, you know, being the Wheaties guy, but it doesn't matter because of how many times he's fought under the Reebok banner. They love him, so he gets it. So he's not going to complain. You know, he sees his life. He fights so regularly. He does well. He does not as well. Same thing with Cowboy. Like he loses, he wins. 
doesn't matter. He goes back in there. He has great fights. He's got not so great fights. The Connor fight, great showcase for Connor. The Pettis Cowboy fight, too. Back and forth. Wonderful back and forth fight. That's what we wanted. Cowboy arguably won that fight. But one championship, they do something where they can just like they talk these people into fighting for them. And and what's crazy is Tom DeBlas isn't even the is not even the biggest person that they secured recently. One also secured Glory Champion, I think, um, just out of nowhere. Um, said it try song. He's a uh, yeah. Sit try sit song Pyong. He's a yeah glory champ. Yeah, and he I think just recently signed with one, which is crazy because you look at all the other people in one. Yeah, legendary striker signs with one, and um, he's gonna be fighting in the super series, so he'll be. Trying to see. He, yeah, he could fight Yachts and Clyde uh, or Petch Morcott, Petch GND, um, or Giorgio Petrosian, who's fucking incredible. Like, there's a lot of good kickboxing fights that he can. And I mean, since since one is so. They're so uh, accommodating to martial arts. I mean, he could fight Muay Thai with small gloves. He could fight Muay Thai with big gloves. He could fight Muay Thai, whatever. He could fight kickboxing. He could fight MMA. He could do whatever. Instead of just having to follow glory rules, which glory rules kind of just, as much as it's exciting to watch, it kind of just accommodates the kickboxers, like the Dutch kickboxers. Um, yeah, there's an article right now that's the the rise of Asian American martial art martial artists in one championship. Angela Lee, Christian Lee, two brothers, uh, B. Wynn, Janet Todd. Oh, really? Jan- oh, I didn't even realize that Janet Todd's Japanese. She was raised in Southern California. Japanese-American athlete Janet Todd would visit Japan frequently with her mother when she was young. Huh, that's cool. She's fucking great, Janet Todd. I love watching her uh, train. And then Ong La and Song, who's from, who's in Miami, or Fort Lauderdale, trains with Henry Hoof at uh, Hard Knocks. Um... He's from Burma. Ton Lee. I'm not too familiar with Ton Lee. Brandon Vera. Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I guess he is Filipino. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm, if, I was a, if I was an amateur fighter and I'm looking to go pro, I'm trying to sign with one. Either one or Bellator. As far as, like, rising up, to jump right into the UFC, uh, you need that experience. 
You need that experience. All right, what else is going on? Kevin Holland calls out Marvin Vittori. I like that. Giga is tired of short-notice opponents, wants UFC to give him a name. True that. Um, shout out to Courtney Casey for her armbar finish this past weekend, or last night. Ooh, let's see the official scorecards. Uh, uh, let's see. I want to see. I want to see. Well, okay, let's look at the song and dong one. So they all thought that Marlon lost the second round. I like that. Hmm, okay, let's see. This one is the Dan Inge Barbosa one. They thought that Barbosa won the first round and Inge Oh, okay. So First judge has it 10, Barbosa first round. Um, second round, Inge. Third round. Inge? But no one put anything for the knockdown. These cards are fucking terrible. All right, let's look at this Claudia Gadelia fight. All right, so last round, who had it? Okay, Salvador Salvatore Diamato is the only person I trust with scoring cards right now. That second round, you could easily give a 10-8. Oh, not 10-8, I guess. She did fight back a little bit. She got knocked down, though. Christopher Lee and David Torelli don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Hmm. Ugh. Pointless to try to argue them. Uh, all right. Well, that's all I got for you guys today as far as news and breaking things down. I don't know when the next fights are because they have this UFC 250, but it looks like <laughs> shallow as fuck. So they haven't posted anything about that. But I will come back with to you sometime this week or whatever, and we'll talk more, especially when things get announced. So until next time, make sure to check out the podcast on southernscrapnation.com. iTunes, please write a five-star review. Google Play, 
and Spotify. You can check out everything else on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SouthernScrapNation.com for everything. I'd go there. I'd personally go there. That's SouthernScrapNation.com. Thanks again, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the fights this past weekend. Until next time, stay safe. Peace.